all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide. It trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice.
know his name, am I right? Good morning, Grace Church of Orange, on this glorious, blustery day. We praise God showing us his uh, great power in the wind this morning, don't we? Well, welcome. This is a, we are a Christ-centered community here at Grace Church, intent on proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and sacrificially serving Jesus. Let me bring your attention to some of the cards that the ushers have been handing out to you. Those are dates and things, and on there is a QR code. To update your personal information, just click that with your camera and update phone numbers and names and addresses and things like that. also like to let you know that our GBI, Grace Bible Institute, is coming up here soon on March the 14th from 6 to 8.30, and we'll be here under the tent, and uh, we'd like to, you to sign up online for that. Uh, some other things going on, you know that we have children's ministry, we have children's uh, care over in the children's wing and kindergarten through second grade Bible class. Um, all three services, if you didn't know, you can drop off kids there. The playgrounds are open in between services, maybe not today, but on other days. 
We don't want the kids to get blown away. Um, and we have women's ministry that has restarted on Thursday mornings and will soon resume on March the 18th on Thursday evenings. So women's ministry is almost back in full swing, and we have men's ministry, men of the word, that are meeting on Friday mornings at 7, actually 6.30 a.m., 6.30 a.m. So uh, if you please rise for scripture reading, I have chosen Psalm 119, so we'll be here for a while. You know Psalm 119, it's really long, but I'm only going to do 33 to 37, verses 33 to 37. Psalm 119 is focused on God's word. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not satisfy my selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Join me in prayer. Gracious Father, you have given us your word to guide our lives. It is the standard for all truth. We pray you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and to understand and obey with a whole heart. Lead us by your truth, O Lord, that we will delight in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It's a joy to see you all this morning. Welcome, especially if you're joining us on the live stream. And we just invite you to sing, Come People of the Risen King. That's who we are. Uh, we're people of the Risen King, so we invite you to sing. Here we go.
and have a seat for a few moments. So we're going to take some time in the service to uh, thank and pray for and bless uh, a sweet, sweet, beloved couple that one of our elders and his wife, Dave and Kathy Strzeski, are moving to Lenore, North Carolina, and they are uh, moving this week. And just let me give you a quick rundown. 1981, they came to Grace Church. Uh, Dave became an elder in 1984. And then in 1989, they went out to Grace, Church, uh, Grace College, and then uh, Dave got a degree there, and then also got his MBA at Xavier University. Well, they came on back in 1989, and then from 89 to 90, uh, 89 to 97, they were gone. They came back in 97 and have been with us ever since. Dave's been serving as an elder. Kathy and Dave have both had extensive, uh, significant ministry in the lives of all of us. Uh, men, women, whole families. Uh, they're moving to be closer to some of their kids in Lenore, uh, North Carolina. And so um, this has been a really tough one for us to grapple with that they're moving. Uh, but Dave and Kathy told us en in enough time that we've been processing it for, for quite a while. So Dave, say a couple things before I pray for you guys. Thanks, Mike. Boy, what a, what a joy. And if that timeline sounded confusing to you, it was to me a little bit as well. So I'm not, I'm not sure how that all worked out. But I just have to tell you, it, obviously it's bittersweet. This has been our home church since uh, we were both brand new believers, and it's just been such a joy. It's interesting. All of our kids have commented since they've been gone and have said, Dad, we never realized what a good church, Grace Church, was until we moved to other parts of the country. And obviously we're sinners. We, we have our faults, but we're a healthy church and a growing church, and pray we just continue to be that. I pray that we're found faithful at the return of the Lord Jesus when he returns. And so... Please continue in the faith, strong in the faith. We're excited. 
uh, to be leaving. We're, we're saddened horribly to be uh, leaving, and, uh, but with great joy. We just love you guys so much, and thank you for the indelible, permanent, and uh, positive influence you have all had on uh, uh, Cass and my life and our children and even our grandchildren now to an extent. So we just uh, mm -hmm. are very grateful, and thank you so much. Yep. So Hebrews, Hebrews 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And just want to give a, a huge thanks to Dave and Kath. And let's just pray for them as really we're sending them out. Is what we're doing. We're sending them out as missionary church planters to North Carolina. That's kind of the way I try to look at it. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for how good you are in, in granting us salvation, leading us to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for the church. Thank you for uh, beloved, beloved friends in Christ that you uh, allow us to be a part of each other's lives. We thank you for Dave and Kathy and all their kids and grandkids. And we pray, Lord, as they, as they move to North Carolina, Lord, that you would lead them and guide them and provide for them and protect them. We pray for Kathy's health. We pray for uh, their kids as they get settled in. We pray for uh, their new church, Lord, whatever church that you, you have them be a part of, Lord. We pray that you would uh, bless their efforts and that they would be a blessing there. Uh, we just thank you. We, we, we just want to pray with, with huge gratitude in our hearts for you and for blessing us with them. And we thank you, Lord, and we send them um, by your grace and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 to 6, and then we'll be praying for Rick Johnson and Dave and Kathy Strzeski again. Verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Please join me in prayer. Oh, yeah, actually, you may be seated, and I will pray. <laughs> Father, we humbly come before your throne with confidence in the blood of your son, Jesus. We glorify you for your amazing love to us in the gift of your mercy and grace, which we do not deserve. You have shown us your love in that while we are sinners, you have given your son 
to pay for our sins. We confess to you our brokenness, the evil intentions of our hearts, our selfishness and hatred for others. In all the ways we have turned our hearts from you, we thank you, Father, that you have pursued us and redeemed us from our depravity. We pray for the continued work of your Holy Spirit working in us to put away our sin and to trust in your love for us. Help us to grow in faith and love through the study of your word and the fellowship with the body of Christ. We want to pray for Dave and Kathy as they move north to North Carolina. We pray for your protection in travel and they're finding a solid church, a place where Dave and Kathy can plug in and use and serve the body of Christ with the gifts you've given them. We pray for Rick Johnson and the ministry you've given him to reach out to the lost youth of our community. We pray for you to provide for Rick with wisdom, love, and patience as he makes himself available to the youth and their needs for guidance and redemption. And Father, we, we uh, use the preaching of your word. We pray for the preaching of your word today to convict our hearts with truth. Bless Pastor Mike as he teaches us from Ecclesiastes to help us to understand the truth that you have given us to change our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
you for today. Thank you. Um, thanks for this tent. It's kind of a cool picture that it's so um, beautiful and strong. And yes, it's creaky and loud and um, a little annoying, but, but it hasn't moved. It hasn't fallen. God, life is frustrating and difficult and full of disappointments and unbearable tragedy and loss and hurt. And how we need your help to stake our lives into the ground of the word, to cast our anchor in the sea of Christ's goodness and faithfulness, to wake up every morning and say, God's mercies are new, even if life is terrible. Um, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you are, are tender and lowly and gentle towards us. And thank you that through your word, you are coming right now to nourish us and cherish us, to sanctify us and to teach us truth about who you are and how to see and how to interact with the world that you put us in. Um, thank you again for your faithfulness. Help us to fear and to be obedient as we walk with you this week. In Jesus' name. Praise God, we are anchored in Christ. Praise God, this tent is anchored with some really, really big metal stakes that are like four feet long. I think they were pounding another one in this morning on one of the posts. God is so good to us, and I know that uh, you are committed to coming to worship the Lord. If you're with us on the live stream, we know that this might be your only connection uh, with the body of Christ this week, and we love you, we care about you, we are glad that you have joined us. And for those under the tent, thank you for bearing with the elements. I know that it's hard to concentrate with a lot of wind, but by the grace of God, hopefully it will just keep dying down as we can focus our hearts upon the Word of God. You know, in the providence of God, we began Ecclesiastes on March 8th, 2020, which seems like a lifetime ago. And we had no idea how applicable living in light of dying would be. And there are four more sermons now left in this life-changing Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes that we'll be going through. And as we've gone through, just chapter by chapter, verse by verse, what we saw in the first nine chapters is, is literally God wiping all self-sufficiency off the table. You cannot trust yourself. Only God knows. Only God satisfies. Only God saves. And every road to self-sufficiency has been closed off. And then we got to chapter 10. And it exhorted us to sensibility in life. And to be calm. And to be realistic. And to be careful. And we looked about be, being careful with our words. And even to ask those questions before we speak. Is this going to honor God? Is this going to be helpful? Is this necessary for me to say this? And then last week, we looked at being mindful of our ways and careful about the way we live and even thinking through would what I'm doing, would it be good if it was broadcast to the whole world? And does this show a picture of a maturing Christian 
And then this show a model of self-control. And so we really wrapped up for several weeks in this idea of carefulness, of, of realism, of calmness, and, and really this idea of sensibility. And now we get into a chapter that is going to strongly uh, exhort us to be bold, to be joyful and bold. A little bit of background is that Solomon was writing in a time when Israel had undergone major change. Here was this small agricultural country that became a bridge of international commerce and trade, really, between Egypt and Europe. And some tried the trading business and lost everything. In fact, we saw this earlier in Ecclesiastes, in chapter 5, that riches were lost through a bad business venture. And I don't know about you, but if you see someone lose a lot of money in a business venture, it might make you a little wary to jump in. And seeing someone lose everything might make you even want to hoard your possessions or hoard your resources and not, you know, put them out there. And sometimes it, it makes us timid. Sometimes we become timid and we let opportunity pass. Or we neglect the responsibility. Or, or we, well, we just don't do something that's right there in front of us that we are really called to be a part of. And a lot of times it's because we fear the unknown uncertainty. We fear what might happen. We don't know how to navigate it. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle said, we have all neglected opportunities to deplore. Someone else said, we are too timid to endure responsibilities. Someone else wrote, look in my face. My name is might have been. I am also called opportunity no more. Too late. Farewell. The chance is gone. You passed it up. And now the preacher is saying in these first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes 11, don't be timid. Be bold. Be bold. Take bold action while you have opportunity. Take bold action today. What, what is getting zeroed in strongly on is this call for bold, generous, risky faith in the midst of an uncertain life in a shaky world. Yes, be sensible, be calm, be realistic, be careful in this passing world. But at the same time, be joyfully bold, courageous, fearless, dauntless, adventurous. Take a leap of faith into what the sovereign God can do. Let me break down the passage for us. This is where we're going. Verses 1 and 2 speak of bold generosity. Bold generosity. Verses 3 and 4 speak of bold risks, bold risks. And verses 5 and 6 speak of bold faith, bold faith. You've got bold generosity, risk, and faith. They all work together. They all combine this picture of boldness. Well, first, we'll start at this idea of bold generosity and really has the idea of, of casting and giving, casting and giving. Verse 1 begins, cast your bread Upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. I don't know about you, but if I throw a loaf of bread into the ocean, 
I don't think it's coming back to me. I think the birds are going to eat it long before the tide comes back in. But this is what Solomon says, you'll get it back. Now, you've got to picture this. Picture pita bread, but not pita bread that's soft and fluffy and right out of the oven. Picture dry, dried out pita bread, a thin, flat, hard disk that would float easily on the current and be carried out to sea. This is the picture. It's gone. But Solomon says, no, you're going to get it back. Now, every verse in this passage, uh, commentators and, and Bible interpreters all have different ideas about what these verses actually are referring to. But here's the good news. Whatever they're referring to, the meaning is the same. And this first two verses is about generosity. Now, some people think that it is about giving to the poor. Proverbs 22, 9 says, Those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. Proverbs 19, 17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. But if you do something bold like giving to someone who cannot pay you back, you'll see what God will do. Others think this is referring to wisdom in commerce, wisdom in business. Now, in those days, if, if you owned ships and you were going to send them out on a commercial voyage, it would take a long time. The ship would go out and wouldn't come back, maybe for several years. So you wouldn't even get any profit coming back to you for a long time. You had to commit. Solomon's fleet of ships sailed once every three years. 1 Kings 10 tells us they brought back these rich cargoes of gold and silver and ivory and apes and peacocks. Can you imagine what those ships would have been like? Apes and peacocks climbing over gold and silver and ivory? When Solomon reigned, uh, bread came back over the waters. Israel, under Solomon's kingship, came as close as, as ever to fulfilling her calling to be a kingdom of priests serving the world. They were chosen by God not to exclude all the other nations, but to bring blessings to all the families of the earth, as Genesis 12 promised. Their stance was to be outward-looking, not inward-focused. Their stance was to be outward, and it happened rarely before Solomon, but Solomon took up that charge. And so his ships would return from Tarshish, once every three years, bringing those rich cargoes. A picture of bold generosity, which is the epitome of wisdom. Verse 2 exhorts us, in similar fashion, to give. So cast the bread upon the waters, and then give a portion to seven or even to eight. Now this is a common, a well-known tool in Hebrew for giving uh, an, an indefinite number when you're using uh, seven or eight numbers using that way, it's saying don't put any limit on your generosity. Don't put a limit on what you will give. And the reason given is that you do not know what kind of disaster will befall the earth. There's that word disaster that we fear. Now in those days, sea trade was very risky. You were sending ships out. The journey would be long the journey would be hazardous. 
Many shipwrecks litter the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea. And this reminds us, I think, of some, some phrases that we learn early on in life. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. You know, don't put your eggs all in one basket. Or, or if in this case, don't put all your goods in one ship. Because that ship may sink. You know, spread it out among the fleet. Whether it's for compassion or commerce, the application is generosity. And generosity is really that adventurous casting, and it demands your total commitment. You notice it's your bread that's being casted, and it's anything you have in life, not just bread. It could be time. It could be money. It could be whatever it is, the talents that you are given by God. And, and you notice that it's forward-looking. You will find it, and it requires patience because it says after many days. You will find it after many days. Jesus says something similar in Luke chapter 6. He says, give to everyone who asks from you. And the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You'll notice that verse 2 says, you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what kind of disaster might befall the earth. We don't know what's going to happen in this community. We don't know what's going to happen on the way home from church. But just because you don't know everything doesn't mean that you shouldn't do anything. I think of the parable of the talents. The rich owner goes on a journey and before leaving gives one servant five talents. Gives another servant two talents. Gives another servant one talent. The servant with five talents goes and makes five more. The servant with two talents goes and makes two more. But the servant with one talent is timid, is fearful, and goes and digs a hole in the ground and hides that talent. So when the master comes back, he's like, here's your one. And, and the other's like, here's ten, here's four. And the one that hid the talent, the one that was timid, the one that wasn't bold, the one that wasn't generous in, in putting something away from them, but just holding it for themselves, was called a wicked, lazy servant, worthless, was punished. And the point of that parable is you need to work in and for the kingdom of God, and you need to work diligently in the kingdom, to be boldly generous with God's resources, things that God gives, that God entrusts to you. He gives generously. You see this in James chapter 1. If you lack wisdom, ask God. He's going to give it to you. He gives generously. Generosity was a hallmark of the New Testament church. If you look over in Philippians chapter 4, and begin at verse 14, Paul is speaking to the Philippians, and he says, it was very kind of you to share in my trouble. And then he said this, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered in, into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have, not, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, 
a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. They were generous. They were generous with what God had entrusted to them. And then Paul says this in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God will take care of the one who is generous. And the question for you and I really is, how might I pursue generosity? How might I exercise being generous? How might I plan purposefully to be generous with my time, with my talents, with the treasure that God entrusts to me? Think about life. You don't know what's going to happen next. Life can overturn your finest plans. Well, let the thought of that, let the thought of knowing that you don't know what's coming next spur you on to act today, now, before it might be too late. It's kind of funny. It sounds a little bit like a salesperson, doesn't it? Hey, what's your budget? What, what's, what's keeping you from deciding right this moment? This is different. This is God saying, this is good for you. This is what you should do. You should give. You should give generously. You should give to those in need. You should see a need and meet it. And you should do so boldly. Boldly. Generosity, the first financial priority of a biblical Christian, yet you need to understand God doesn't need your financial assistance. God has entrusted you what you have, and he wants you to send resources away from you to bless others. And that, in some people's mind, is a waste. That, in some people's mind, is a money drain. That, in some people's mind, is foolish. And God is saying, it is wise. There was someone from our church, Grace Church, who was asked this week to fill out a uh, kind of a testimony of, of generosity, actually. And they shared it with me. I said, this ties in with what Solomon is saying. Here's what they wrote. God teaches us to be generous because it reflects his character. We're called to be like Christ, who is perfectly selfless, humble, and generous. The Lord uses our generosity to bless others and humble us. To put the needs of others before our own and joyfully serve others. And then this person shared this. A testimony of their own life in this last year. I have had less opportunity to make money to meet my own financial needs, to give to the church and bless others. But I've been challenged in this moment to be generous with my time and my money, even when I feel like I cannot. Over the past year, I've had opportunities to bless, bless people who are sick by bringing them dinner or a wellness package. I like the wording there, a wellness package. I'm not sure what's in the wellness package, but it's something that helps you be well. And you think about what Christians have done through the centuries. Think with me about what the Christians did in the Middle Ages. Christians held civilizations together during the Middle Ages, during the plagues, when people fled the cities, when people split, the Christians stayed and gave. You think hurricanes and disasters and storms and winds. I, I think of the year 2000. I think of Y2K and the frenzy of everything's going to crash and everyone was wondering what's going to happen and that all the computers were going to stop and what have you. And I knew people that had these big blue 
barrels uh, filled with water, and they were stockpiling food and, and all sorts of things. And most people I knew were stockpiling them, those things for themselves, not to give to other people. They were going to do for, for, for me and mine, as, as one person once put it. I think about early 2020. Everyone was stockpiling hand sanitizer and, and paper towels and toilet paper and canned chicken. And I, and I thought about you know, hearing stories of people getting arrested for buying too much or getting in fights because they wanted that, that last thing of toilet paper or whatever. Now, if you're someone who says, I'm going to be wise, I'm going to store food for myself, in case of a disaster, I'm going to store food and water. I say, God bless you, store your food, store your water. And if you're a Christian, do not run off when the crisis starts and take all your stuff out into the wilderness. Stay in your neighborhood and pass it out to people in need. Don't hoard in anticipation of calamity or scarcity. No, give, share, invest your time, your talent, and your treasure. And this is the mindset that Paul gave to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And here's what he said in verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has purposed or decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not forced. For God loves a cheerful giver, literally a hilarious giver, a joyful giver. And then he says this, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God will give you what you need to be a generous, giving, bold Christian. Don't withhold good when you can give it. Tomorrow might be too late. Jesus gave his life a ransom for many. Jesus gave. Paul said to purpose. You need to decide to bless rather than to possess it for yourself and hug all your own resources because God owns it all. So bold generosity is the first thing that is strongly being called for in this passage of Scripture, and it leads quite, quite easily to bold risks, verses 3 and 4. If you're going to be generous, you need to be taking risks. Verses 3 and 4 expand on verses 1 and 2. And there are things that we can observe. Verse 3 says, if the, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. That's when you pull out your umbrella, or you, or you sing in the rain, you run in the rain, whatever you want to do in the rain. You drive in the rain. The clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth, and if a tree falls, I love this one. Like, it can't be more obvious, people. If a tree falls to the south or to the north, Right where the tree falls, there it's going to lie. It's a heavy tree. It's going to fall over. I remember being in Washington, D.C. once on a, a cross-country trip with my family, and we were going on a road. It was a huge storm, biggest storm. All the, all the power was out, and, and everything's dark, and there's just traffic, and a tree falls in the middle of the road. And a state trooper comes out and says, okay, everybody out of their cars, help us move this tree, because we have someone in a car that, is, that it needs to get through, that needs to get to the hospital. They're, they're, they're hurt. And so I remember Michael and I, my son and I, were jumping out of the car, and this 
just rain is crazy, and we jump out, and we help. Like, 30 people are, like, literally picking up a huge tree and moving it out of the way. It was one of those moments I'll never forget. But where the tree falls, uh, it'll be right there. So you take out your chainsaw and cut it up. And then verse 4, he who observes, and this is really, this risk is about observing and regarding. Because if you just look and look and, and keep thinking, you're just going to get frozen and get timid and not move. And you need to take a risk if you're going to be bold. So he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. I'm not going to go. It's too cold. It's too windy. In Palestine, the best time to sow was when there was little to no wind. Kind of an obvious one. The, the farmers could scatter the, the seed evenly over the fields. But let's say it was windy. If they waited and waited for perfect weather, they wouldn't sow. So you've you got to get out there and take a risk. The point is, don't wait for ideal conditions to be bold and generous and risky. Make the most of every opportunity, for the days are evil, as Ephesians 5.16 tells us. God's timing is perfect, as Galatians 4.4 tells us. Don't let the weather forecast stop you. Well, I saw the weather forecast. I'm not going to do that because, you know, it's just too much risk. There's risk in everything in life. Storms, heavy rain, violent wind, uprooted trees. You can't control life, and you cannot wait for conditions to be just right. There's risk in farming. There's risk in family. There's risk in following Christ. Every human venture has risk. Everything has risk. It's better to fail trying than to hug your resources. Jesus said it this way, he who loves his life will lose it. And by the measure you give, it will be measured to you. Don't wait till you're better off to be risky and bold in your generosity. Now, we like to make goals, and I love making goals like anybody else. In fact, in recent years, we make what are called SMART goals, right? There's the acrostic. SMART, specific, measurable, attainable. And the R is, you know, is debated, realistic or, realistic or relevant, and then time-bound. There's your acrostic. Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, relevant, time-bound. I think maybe the R should be changed to risky. How risky is your goal? How risky is it? Sometimes we're just so worried about risk avoidance that we don't act boldly when we should. Everything in life has an element of risk. Bold generosity, bold risk. Don't wait till conditions are optimum. Go for it now. And then verses 5 and 6, it leads to bold faith. And it's this idea of not knowing. We've already seen it in verse 2. You don't know what disaster might befall. Verse 5 has it twice. Verse 6 has it once. Verse 5 says, you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. We don't know how we are fearfully and wonderfully made and how all of that happens within the womb. And you do not know the work of God who makes everything. You don't know. Here are two examples of manifest human ignorance. We do, know, we do not know. There are certain aspects of God's working that have no human explanation. How God's going to provide for you tomorrow. It's not visible to you right now. And you have this this truth that we need to grasp 
We don't know what God is going to do next. We don't know his plans for the future. We live with uncertainty. But what we do know, that God knows everything. That everything is in his control. That there, there's nothing in this world that's outside of his control. And we can rest in that. I mean, storms are going to sink ships. Clouds are going to rain on the earth. Trees are going to fall in the forest. Winds are going to blow. Crops are going to grow. Life breath will be put into babies. God makes everything. And that gives us stability in an uncertain world. This whole passage is really calling for a venture of faith. Ecclesiastes is at war with foolish self-sufficiency. There is wisdom in realizing what you don't know. While you work boldly but wisely, you believe God. Verse 6 says, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, because you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So he's drawing a bit of a conclusion here. Give yourself fully to the task at hand and wait for the outcome. God alone is the one who has detail, prior knowledge of his plans, infallible knowledge of the future. You don't. The process is not within your power. The process is not within your control. This is like the parable of the sower. The sower goes out to sow seed, and some seeds fall on the path, and the birds eat them up. Now, some seed goes on the rocky ground, and some seed goes into the good soil. But this is not about seeds getting planted in a field. The seed is the word of the kingdom of God. You should sow it boldly with risk and boldness by faith, generously putting it out, where you work hard. Life is uncertain. You don't know what God is going to do. Use every opportunity. Entrust the results to God. He's got you. The smallness of your knowledge, and we do have small knowledge, and the likeliness of, of, of hard times coming are reasons for you and I to be bold in generosity, risk by faith. What we're going to see next week as we get into the next few verses, the last verses of this chapter, what we're going to see is that bold, generous, risky faith drives our joy. That's what we'll see next week. But faith is not going to remove your ignorance. It enables you to live with your ignorance. Faith flourishes in the mystery of God's providence. The vapor of life, there's your motivation to be bold. Uh, your ignorance, your lack of control, your, your likelihood of failure on something, all reasons to redouble your efforts in trusting God and leave the outcomes to him. I mean, Jesus said it to Nicodemus this way. The wind blows where it wishes. And if you're in the tent right now, boy, do we know that. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it and the creaking of the tent, I might add. But you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Jesus is talking about the way he saves, how the Holy Spirit regenerates people and gives them new life. And really, this passage is not about giving bread to people, though that's a good thing. We give out you know, food boxes every week. That's a good thing. Helping people. You can give someone a wellness package and you figure out what that has in it. But this is about us having such a hope in Christ 
that we are bold. And boldness is what is in the book of Acts. You go into the book of Acts, what you'll see, eight times are the apostles preaching and speaking out boldly in the name of Jesus. They're making the most of the time. They're urgent in season and out of season. They're being gospel workers, looking for a spiritual harvest from the good seed of the word of God. That's why this passage is not just about giving food and money and time, but it's about giving the word of God out. If you're going to be a bold, generous, risky, faith-filled Christian, then you need to act now while you can as a witness of Christ. Jesus said this in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we don't go bold out into a vacuum of some sinless utopia. We all know we do not live in a sinless utopia. We live in this mindless vertigo of, of sinless depravity. We live in a world that is hell-bent on destroying every vestige of the knowledge of God. I mean, it, it goes from the highest floor of any, of any office down to the toy chest. It goes into your house, into the, your kid's toy chest. I mean, the latest move against God's design hits the toy box very soon. Hasbro, I don't know if you heard this, Hasbro has just said they will no longer sell Mr. Potato Head. Mr. Potato Head is gone. Get them while they last because they're going gender neutral. God created us male and female. You have to be bold about any attack upon God's word and about God's truth. Stand firm against every depraved attempt to, to reimagine reality. You, think about it. People are living in a made-up fantasy world, and that cannot change created reality. God's word stands. Truth stands unchanged regardless. Jesus said, your word is truth. Isaiah said, the word of God stands forever. Forever. We need to be willing. We need to be willing to be bold for the truth of the word of God in a time when people will not put up with truth and they want lies instead. We have to have fearless confidence, courage, boldness, uh, conspicuous assurance in the face of, of some withering and dithering foolish fight about what is real or not. No, they're fighting against God's unrivaled sovereignty. We need to be willing to speak unvarnished biblical truth. Not your truth, by the way. I, I can't stand it when it says, well, you speak, you do you, you do your truth. No, no, no. No, speak God's truth. God's truth. It, it's unpopular. It'll be shouted down. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love, even as people are, are deconstructing and they're doing it destructively and deceptively and hatefully and harmfully. Just keep loving Keep praying, keep pleading with people to come to faith in Christ and hold firmly to the faithful truth, the faith once for all given by God. And cast your bread upon the waters. Cast the word out. You'll find it 
After many days, freely, freely you have received, Jesus said, freely give. Give the word out. Isaiah says, the word of God is not going to return void. God says, my word, it will, it will not return void without accomplishing the purpose for which I sent it. George Whitfield had a huge impact on America in preaching the word of God. On his first visit to America, he is preaching one night standing on the steps of the Philadelphia courthouse. It became his favorite place to preach. A 13-year-old boy was standing nearby. He needed to get as close to Whitfield as he could. He wanted to hear this man preaching. He was riveted by this man's preaching, and he was holding a lantern. And the boy was so engrossed with Whitfield's preaching that he just drops the lantern at one moment, and it just shatters, and people all around him are just angry at the little boy. And Whitfield's preaching was actually interrupted, but he just kept going, and, and, uh, and, and he went on, and, and it seemed like that was the end of that. That boy was listening to the word of God preached, so the lantern just slipped from his grasp. And 14 years later, Whitfield was on his fifth journey to America, and he was preaching on this tour, and he was, he was talking to the Reverend John Rogers. And Rogers asked him, do you remember that little boy with the lantern one time when you were preaching? And Whitfield said, absolutely I remember. I think about him all the time, and I would give anything I had to, to find out what happened to that little boy. And this pastor, John Rogers, said, I'm, I'm the little guy with the lantern. I'm the one with the lantern. And Whitfield just had tears of joy streaming down his face. And he said, on this preaching trip, I have run into 14 people who God put into ministry, put into the gospel ministry as a result of that visit to America. He had a part in this, this boy's conversion to Christ. He was instrumental in casting the bread upon the waters, and in many days, it came back. Because faith acts. We're to preach the word of God in season and out of season, everywhere, wholeheartedly, ungrudgingly. And God doesn't need our bold generous, risky faith. But he's pleased with all of it. A generous Christian is an obedient Christian. It's not personality driven. It's, it's, not, it's not, well, I, I'm timid so that I'm quiet so that I don't need to do that. No, it's obedience driven. You can be quiet and bold. But if you're timid, you'll never try. Risk. Like, do good while you can. Do it today. Now is the time. It's like if you're not a Christian. Now is the day of salvation. Come to Christ. If you don't know Christ, you're on your way to hell. If you don't know Christ, you're going to have a Christless eternity in the agony of hell. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus who gave himself for you, was your substitute at the cross, shed his blood in your place, offers eternal life. Come to faith in Christ. Your sins have condemned you, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Risk. Walk by faith in the God of promise. Walk by faith in the promises of God. Well, faith will move you to bold action because of the object of your faith, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Solomon's wisdom is embodied in Jesus, the greater and finer, final son of David. Jesus, the bread of life, who gave himself for the life of the world. We follow him as living sacrifices, broken, spilled out, 
for a hungry and hurting world. Give your life in humble, bold service to Christ because he gave himself for you. And boldness will make you nothing but humble. Boldness will never make you anything but humble. You serve Christ with humble boldness. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. In Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, in whom we have boldness and confident access through our faith in him. Be bold, generous, risky faith, and just watch what God will do. Lord, we thank you that you are here with us. Your spirit impresses the word upon our hearts. We can do nothing apart from you. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Lord, make us bold, humbly bold, not arrogant in any way, but bold to serve you because you humbly shed your blood for us. We praise you, we thank you, we love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we close singing Shine Into Our Night?
From here. 